0: Wow. I feel like this would be a good time for an altar call. Yeah, just preach the house down. Well, you know, normally they give you the the little tiny water bottles, but I figure since I'm in Texas now, I've got to go with one of these guys. So, uh, hey, it's good to be with you. It's Sunday morning. It's It's the day the Lord has made. So we're gonna rejoice and be glad despite what's going on around us. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And yeah, this is my wife, Abby. (laughs) Obviously, obviously I I married up and she's out of my league, but I'm I'm happy about that. Uh, Well, we are honored and humbled to be with you and not just with you in this building, but with you in life. That's one of the, the beautiful things about the Christian community is that we're with one another in life's greatest victories, and there are gonna be times when we laugh together and we're also with one another in life's greatest challenges. So, so whether we're laughing or we're crying, We're going through it together. And we're with one another, bearing one another's burdens. And and we are honored and humbled. I think one of the the most important things to do as a pastor is to simply pay attention to what God's doing in people. So that's what we'll be doing is paying attention to what God is doing in people. And I learned that that concept from a man named Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson was a a pastor and a writer, and something that he said has been on my mind the past couple weeks. He was pastoring a church in Baltimore during the 1980s, and in his community, there was an economic downturn, and with that came fear and anxiety in the city, and just like how stress at a personal level, and that, that pressure can start to to expose what's lurking just beneath the surface and can kind of test what's, what's on the inside of you yeah. and show if there's any cracks. The same thing can happen with a community, that as a community experiences stress, it kind of exposes if there's anything laying just under the surface. And so as a result of this economic downturn, what started as just that started exposing this racial tension that was also in the community. And then race riots broke out in Baltimore as well. So we have an economic downturn and race riots. To sound familiar? Uh-huh. And something that he said has, has stuck with me. He said, everyone was concerned about what was going on in the streets, but I was concerned about what was going on in the people. Yeah. I think that's where our work is to be done, is to pay attention to what's going on And the people. And in the midst of of all of that chaos, what ended up happening was he saw that his people were getting angry because of what was happening. So he was getting angry because they were getting angry. And he decided everyone's angry. So what we need to do is we need to read the book of Galatians (laughs) because it's Paul's angriest letter. And the Bible gave language to that emotion. And so he started taking his church through that letter and he realized this is not connecting. This, this language is really hard, they, they aren't getting it. And so prior to being a pastor, he was preparing to be a professor of biblical language. And so he would, he, he took the book of Galatians and then just each week he would take a section and put it, take the original text and then put it in the language that people in Baltimore would understand their phrases and their words. And he said, eventually the riots stopped, but I didn't. And he kept translating, and as a result, we have the message translation. And that has helped a lot of people understand and and connect better to to God's word. So this is a, a picture of what we're gonna be looking at for the rest of today's message is, out of this grave came a garden out of this this setback and this tension and this hostility and this darkness, God brought good. Yes. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, specifically in the book of Jeremiah. As Pastor Mark was talking, we go through these cycles, and and this isn't new. Injustice and evil that we're facing isn't new. And the Bible gives language. And over the Because of the events in the past couple weeks with, I mean, we have COVID, and then we have the death of George Floyd, and that exposed, for, for some, either the awareness, for others, the reminder that there's still racial injustice in the world, and with that came anger, came violence, came riots, came hostility. And in response to just seeing all of that go on, for me, I, I didn't necessarily feel anger, but for me, what I felt was sadness. And I don't know how many of you have, have felt the same over the past few weeks, this, this weightiness and this sadness and seeing what's going on in our world. And just like the Bible gave language to anger, the Bible also gives language to sadness and specifically the book of jeremiah does that jeremiah is known by some as the weeping prophet because he was a prophet to jerusalem during one of their hardest times and that's what we're going to be looking at today so a little bit about the book of jeremiah before we jump in and there may be sections of this that are a bit dull but don't worry we'll we'll tie a nice bow on it at the end so Jeremiah was one of the Hebrew prophets, and, and his story is about justice and grace. So as one of the Hebrew prophets, the prophets were poets. And like most, you know, poets are typically creative people, and like most creative people, uh, he was overly dramatic. So yeah. any anyone, anyone, married to a creative person or know a creative person. Maybe you work with a creative person and can testify that sometimes to the rest of the the rational world, if you're creative, you seem overly dramatic. But the reason why the prophets were, came across as overly dramatic was because they had a, a deep care and concern for God's people. Primarily, they were focused on these two things. Worship and justice. You know, Jesus said, he summed up all the law and the prophets in these two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Worship and justice. Worship is the love of God. Justice is the love of neighbor. And they they would also critique when Israel fell short of this. And so their two primary critiques were idolatry and injustice. (coughs) Idolatry being the violation of the first commandment and injustice being the violation of the second. Simply put, injustice is the failure to love your neighbor. And because the Hebrew prophets were so deeply concerned about God's people, this was their primary focus, that they would have true worship of Yahweh, and that, that would translate to loving their neighbor. And so <clears throat> Jeremiah was a prophet to Israel before and during and after one of the most significant events that happened in their history, and that was the destruction of the temple and the exile into Babylon. And that occurred in 586. So we're gonna look at the call of Jeremiah, and we'll get started there. Before we, we do, I'll say this. In light of the events that are going on currently, I think the most critical question for us is where is Jesus at in all of this? It, it doesn't so much matter what my opinion is. It matters where Jesus is. Right. And so that's what we're gonna be looking at today. Now, I think if we, if we take a... A few minutes to look back, that'll help us find a way forward. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be looking back at another time where there was anger, violence, and injustice, and what came from it. So that's where we're going to pick up in the book of Jeremiah. So God calls Jeremiah, and he says, verse two or verse four. Now, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. Pause there, real quick. This is a common theme in the Bible that God calls somebody and they say, Do you know what you're doing? Because what you're asking me to do, I cannot do. Common thing, And God says, yeah, I, I know this. I, I formed you. I made you. And still, I'm calling you to do this. If, if, you, if you are living a life that you could live without the grace of God, you need to reexamine it. If what you're giving your life to you can do outside of the grace of God, you need to re-examine it. And he calls him as a teenager, a youth, a young person. And you just never know as for people who, who serve in youth and kids, you, you never underestimate what God can be doing in a young person's life. So thank you to everyone who, who works with, with children, whether that's as a nonprofit, whether that's in the church, or whether that's as a parent. Your labor is not in vain. You may not see it at first, but your labor is not in vain. But the Lord said to me, uh, "'Do not say I'm only a youth, for to all whom I send you, "'you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak.'" Do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. So those, those words kind of outline the rest of Jeremiah's life and ministry that aspects of it are going to be to tear down to pluck up and other aspects of it are going to be to build and to plant and this is important so to help us visualize this i'm going to put us into sections here okay so this section you guys are the pluck up and tear down section okay can you handle this yeah, yeah. okay got a few this section which is the the largest section in the room appropriately this is the destruction of the temple and the exile so you guys are destroyers can you handle this okay because yeah in this section good job i don't know if anyone gave you the heads up or if you just prophetically knew that you wanted to be in the right seat today but this is the build and plant section so so congratulations you chose wisely and the balcony i haven't forgotten about you Okay, you're going to come into the story later. You're God's people anyway, so so just hang on tight. Okay, You'll come into the story later. But all of this, this happens sequentially, where before the fall, the words from Jeremiah are to destroy, to pluck up, and the words of Jeremiah afterwards are to plant and to build. His, his message is changes as a result of this significant event that occurs. So we're going to look at one passage from this section, the, the, uh, the tear downers, the pluckers. I need to be careful. And, and then we're going to look at one passage of the planting and building. So just to kind of help us visualize it, I'm using these sections. So we're going to turn to chapter 7. Of Jeremiah chapter seven, this is kind of a, a quintessential message from Jeremiah in the tone of plucking up and tearing down this is the sermon the the temple sermon, and just a heads up it's it 's not pretty it 's not a feel good sermon think of picture the happiest Joel Osteen message you've ever heard. Okay, you got it? Now picture the exact opposite. And that's what this message is, okay? Because what's happened is God's people have have turned from him and are following false gods and are committing acts of injustice. No longer do they love God and no longer are they loving their neighbor. And in the Old Covenant, which is where this is set, God had this agreement with his people that if you are if you faithful to me, you will be blessed. If you turn from me, you will be cursed. So be faithful so that it's, it's good for you. And so in chapter 7... Jeremiah calls the people out for their injustice. We're gonna start in verse two. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there the word. So go into the temple and tell my people this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds if you truly execute justice one with another if you don't oppress the sojourner which is the foreigner or immigrant the fatherless which is another way of saying orphan or the widow or shed innocent blood in this place and if you don't go and uh, go after other gods to your own harm then I will let you dwell in this place and the land that I gave to old uh, gave of old to your fathers forever Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. You steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known. And so in that, he's he's going basically the Ten Commandments. The things that I've told you to do, he's just going through line by line, telling them that they're violating this. Uh, Verse 11, he says, Yeah, in verse 11 he says, has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? So what's happened here is God has sent messengers over and over and over to Israel to try to get them to wake up, to repent, to change their ways, to turn back to the Lord and be faithful. But what they keep doing over and over again is they turn from the Lord and they start committing acts of idolatry and injustice. And so what he's saying here is, with this turning the temple into this den of robbers, is you're, you're coming into the temple, the place of worship, thinking that it's going to, to shelter you, mean all the while you are ignoring the most vulnerable you're you're actually not loving the people that I'm asking you to love. You're you're paying no attention to the poor, you're paying no attention to the immigrant, to the widow, the orphan. You've turned a blind eye to the injustice. And he's saying, and you're coming into to my house and and thinking that this this temple because their mindset is God has told us that this that we are his people and that he has established this throne this temple that's going to last forever. And so they're they're paying no attention to what is to what God is asking of them. And it's painting a very bleak picture. Very dark. And it only gets darker as the sermon temple goes on and he starts talking about how they have They've gone and now they are taking their children later on in in verses, starts in verse 13. We'll just read this because it helps paint the picture. For the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. And they've built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of, of the son of Hinnom to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it ever even come into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury the toph, for they will bury in Topheth, because there is no room elsewhere. So again very bleak picture what's happened here is now not this is the convergence of both idolatry and injustice because what's happening here is they are worshiping false gods through the sacrifice of their children they're taking their children and throwing them into the fire and god sees all of this and he tells jeremiah don't even bother praying and interceding for them because I've sent messengers over and over and over to try to get them to change their ways. And yet they have ignored my voice. And so what he tells them through this sermon is that, uh, that he was going to come and to judge the nation through the destruction of their temple, and that they would be exiled. So this is the part of Jeremiah's life that while everyone in the world's thinking things are great, the economy's strong, what God is saying is it's well all that's great but what's happening is you're you're still turning away from me and you're still committing act sorry I feel like I'm really beaten up on this section I need to (laughs) spread spread the spread the joy talk to the balcony people about this but and yeah so he's saying you come into my house and worship meanwhile you're ignoring what I'm asking you to do and they ignored the call, or they ignored all of the warnings and the time has come now for them to be handed over into destruction, which is where we are in the middle section, okay? The destruction of the temple and the exile in 586 is one of the most significant events that happens in is- Israel's history. So much of, your, of what you read in the Bible revolves around this event. It was gruesome It was awful and it it marked them for for the rest of their lives and an equivalent would be something like for us an equivalent would be something like what happened at 9-11 except not only do the towers come down but they dry our president out and execute his children in front of him and then gouge his eyes out and then throw him in prison, prison for the rest of his life. Because that's what happened when the Babylonians came in. That's what they did to the king of Israel. This is all the result of what happens whenever humans try to seize autonomy from God and think that we can determine good and bad on our own. This is the result of it. And this is what God has been trying to warn them and tell them, if you would come to me, listen to me, then I'll help you and I'll heal you, but we've ignored them. And so now, after the exile, no one, previously, everyone over here is in denial, right? You guys are in denial, Because you think everything's going to be great when God is telling you, if you don't change your ways, it's not going to be great. Everyone over here is in denial. This catastrophic event occurs, and now everyone over here is in despair. They're in despair because they just walked out of this traumatic event, and it seems like everything is hopeless. This is where you get psalms of lament. All of those come out of this event. And now the people are lamenting because they're despairing. They're without hope. Because these rules that were set in place, they kept failing to live them out. Something else needed to happen. And so Jeremiah, now that the people are in despair, his message changes. And it's not a, I told you so. Jeremiah's message changes to a message of hope. To a message of hope. So we're gonna look at Jeremiah's message of hope in chapter 31. Chapters 30 to 33 in this book are messages of, of hope. And it's, and it's intentionally placed right in the very middle of of this book, and it's there for a reason. It's trying to tell you this is the most important thing. This is the centerpiece of the story. And in chapter 31, verse 31, he says, remember, this is, he's addressing this to people who have lost all hope, who are living in a foreign land, who have seen the destruction of their temple, which was a symbol of safety and security because they started looking at the temple and not at God as their refuge. And now it's been destroyed. And in the middle of all of that comes this message. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each of them teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, know the Lord, For they will all know me from the least to the greatest for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more this is one of the greatest promises in the history of the people of Israel that this new, God would come and make this new covenant with them because they, time and time again, they fail to be faithful to God and something has to change. Fast forward 600 years. Balcony, this is where you guys come into the story. You guys are higher up, so you closer to the Lord. So fast forward 600 years. Jesus arrives on the scene. And in the week leading up to the crucifixion, he makes a, he connects the dots and makes reference to both sections of scripture that we've looked at from Jeremiah both chapter seven, chapter 31. Matthew 21. says this. Remember, this is the week. This is Passion Week. Jesus had just entered into the city triumphantly, and this is what we have here. Verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Pastor Jacob in, in his message on Palm Sunday of last year called The Disruptive King goes into detail about what's going on here and the injustices that are, that are happening. They're, they're taking advantage of, of people coming into Jerusalem for Passover, and they're, they're operating in unjust business practices. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. A hyperlink to what we see in Jeremiah 7, in Jeremiah's temple sermon, And now Jesus is giving his own temple sermon. He comes in and everyone who would have been within earshot of those words that Jesus said would have known exactly what he was saying and what he was doing. That the symbolic act was saying that God was coming, Yahweh was coming to, in judgment, and the temple would be destroyed because that's exactly what happened as a result of Jeremiah 7. But there's something very different going on here in Jesus' sermon. Remember the end of Jeremiah 7. The scene that we have is children being thrown into fire, being sacrificed to foreign gods, And as a result of God's judgment, death and destruction, not only to the children, but to the people. But here's what happens in Jesus's sermon in the temple in verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? What's happening here? Well, graves are turning into gardens. The graves of Jeremiah 7 are being, Jesus is intentionally juxtaposing or comparing that image to what the kingdom of God looks like in this new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied and that he would be bringing in. That in the old covenant, The result of your unfaithfulness, your injustice, your lack of concern and care for those who are in need would result in your judgment. And what Jesus does here is instead of the image of children being thrown into the fire, we have this image of children crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Instead of bodies being destroyed, bodies are healed. And he is announcing the coming of this new kingdom and this new covenant that he would make with humanity. And the temple that Jesus symbolically spoke of that would be destroyed was not a building, but it was his body. Later that week, his body would hang on a cross and the true temple, the body of the Lord would be destroyed. For the sake of all of the covenant breakers in the world. Those who failed to uphold and remain faithful to God. For those who failed to live sin-free lives. For all those who had fallen short. Jesus took upon his body in the cross all of the Judgment and the consequence of human sin. And his response in doing so as he was being nailed to that tree was, Father, forgive them. And with the spilling of his blood, he brought in and he ushered this new covenant that Jeremiah talked about. This new covenant that would no longer be Would no longer be this law that's written on tablets of stone, but that it would be written on human hearts. That it would no longer be rules and regulations guiding people, but that God would get to the very core of the human issue, the human heart, and He would heal it and restore it. That He would take graves and turn them into gardens. So the question that we posed earlier of where is Jesus in the midst of all of the injustice, the evil that is going on in our world today? He's on the cross taking upon himself every sin every wrong, every injustice, and in return, giving new life, a new heart that ushers in a new humanity. What does Jesus do in the face of injustice? He heals it. May the same be said about his church, that we don't ignore the injustice taking place in our world, but that we would acknowledge it and heal it. Jesus knew very well the challenges that we would face. And still the solution that he gave, the thing that he thought would would bring about hope, life, that would turn the tide was his church. Filled and empowered with his Holy Spirit to live a divine, a divine life, not one that we could do on our own human efforts, but a life that is motivated, animated, animated fueled by the Spirit of God to bring healing and hope into the world. as days get darker as the setback seemed, as the grave seems to get dug deeper it's making way for an even greater revival I want to close with this, this something I saw earlier this week. This is from, this is written about 100, little over a 100 years ago, during the Welsh revival. It is ever the darkest hour before the dawn. The nation always seems to be given over to the evil one before the coming of the Son of Man. The decay of religious faith, the deadness of the churches, the atheism of the well-to-do, the brutality of the masses, all of these when at their worst herald the approach of the revival. Things seem to get too bad to last. The reign of evil becomes intolerable. Then the soul of a nation awakes.